28 tonight, but before we pick up uh, where we left off last week, I'm going to read the, the theme of the book of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, verse 10, and you'll see the reason why when we, when we go back through what we um, uh, are going to be picking up tonight. It's the privilege that we have of knowing the heart of our God, just like we were saying tonight. And by the way, didn't they do an amazing job? <clears throat> I'm grateful for uh, Flea and Isaac and Emmanuel. They, they really um, lead us into the presence of God. Uh, but in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, we read this. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. And cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away uh, captive. And so, Father, uh, tonight as we study these amazing chapters, uh, some of these chapters that we probably never even read before or even uh, heard taught before. Uh, but to understand that every single word in your scripture always has uh, your thoughts for us. Your uh, good intentions for us. And even in the discipline, even in the troubles, even in the, the trials and the tribulations, uh, we know that you will bring us through, that you will walk with us every single step of the way. Whether it's going through it or coming back out of it. That your plans always have a hope and a peace uh, for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for these, my friends, my family that are here represented. Lord, those that are online, I ask you bless them tonight and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. We've been going through the book of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is one of those uh, books as his name, his nickname, uh, fully represents the lamenting prophet, uh, the weeping uh, prophet. And just like when we read the very first chapter some three months ago, uh, we learned that this word lament always means for others. It, he wasn't weeping for himself. He was lamenting over the sins of the people in Jerusalem. And as we read last week in chapters 25 through 27, we learned that the second captivity had just taken place. And you remember the first captivity was the, you know, the handsome people, the, the smart people, the people that were valuable to the Babylonians. They came in, they took those people first, people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego, they put them in their colleges, trying to indoctrinate them. Then, of course, God had them in perfect key positions within the Babylonian Empire and later on in the Medio-Persian Empire as well. And, of course, we'll read that in Daniel when we get to it in about a year and a half or so. 
Uh, we still have a couple more books to go through. It's okay. Uh, but also, the second captivity that we learned about last week was Ezekiel. It was those that had some sort of a skill, the blue-collar workers, if you will. It was those that uh, are living on the river Kibar that we read about in Ezekiel, which is two books further uh, in the Bible. Th those that were taken away second, th those that were taken away in the second captivity where we see that King Jehoiakim is going to be killed as well. This is the group of people that are going to be used in the manual labor of the Babylonian Empire. And then, as we read last week, we find out that within 70 years, all those people that were taken away captive are going to come back. And Dan, uh, Jeremiah is the only one that is prophesying this. Everybody else is saying that that can't be possible. God will always save us. He, he always has a way to come through in the last minute. And Jeremiah is saying, in 70 years, they're going to come back. Not within two years, as we're going to find out uh, tonight. So by default, who's left in the city of Jerusalem? If all the handsome people are gone and all the skilled people are gone, who's left? Yeah. <clears throat> the ugly people with no skills. And Jeremiah is amongst them, by the way. These are the people behind the city walls that are surrounded by the Babylonian army, the biggest power on the planet at this time. And Jeremiah is warning the people, you must repent. And as we found out, they are hard-hearted, stiff-necked. In fact, we're going to get very specific names, some names hard to pronounce. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to get through a lot of these names here in Jeremiah chapter uh, 28, where we left off from last week. And it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azor, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, uh, saying, last week, you remember, he's declaring that the temple's going to be torn down. And of course, the priests hate this. Why would God, this beautiful temple that King Solomon built, would have his own house, the representation of God here on earth, destroyed. Uh, why would God ever uh, do that? And of course, for the priest, there's an ulterior motive. This is where they get their, you know, finances from. This is how they make their living. And so, of course, they're against this prophecy. They're, they're against what Jeremiah is saying, that the temple is going to be torn down. Not, not just the walls, not just Jerusalem, but the very house of God is going to be destroyed. And so, coming up against these religious leaders, Hananiah in particular, verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. The God of Israel saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And if you've ever read the book of Daniel, 
the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, when he has that party. And remember the writing on the wall? We all remember that, right? Mene, Mene, Tekel, you know, all, all those words that were written on the wall by God's hand himself. Those instruments, those cups, those party utensils came from the temple. The gold and the silver, things that were meant to be holy, are being used by the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, to party. It's these implements right here that they're talking about. They had been taken away during the second exile. They've been taken away in the, as tribute, if you will, to Babylon itself. And so Hananiah, of course, is saying, within two years, all these things are going to be returned. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And if you remember from last week, and by the way, if you weren't here, you can always uh, watch the, the streaming from last week. Uh, Jeremiah had made a yoke, a, a wooden yoke that he was literally carrying on his own shoulders as the outward example of what's going to happen to the people in Jerusalem. And so Hananiah, offended by this, literally is going to take that yoke off of uh, Jeremiah and break it. In fact, in verse 5, then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of God. Where is Jeremiah prophesying? In the temple of God, in the house of God, that he is prophesying will be torn uh, down. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words, which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to uh, this uh, place. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all uh, the people. There's this conflict within Jeremiah himself wanting those vessels to be returned. And he says, amen to Hananiah. He says, so be it, Hananiah, but I have the truth of God. It's these two religious leaders literally arguing in the temple itself, as, as the Jews were, were known to do. Even in, you know, the New Testament, whether it was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the very sects within uh, uh, the Jewish religion. Jeremiah is having to tell the truth of the prophecies of God. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing, in the hearing of all the people. Is this kept secret? No, anyone that's there can hear it. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. 
Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah uh, went his way. And you have to picture this. Yeah, what, what, what happens within a, you know, a religious argument? You know, it's not just theological. It's not just intellectual. It's not just arguing, you know, things that, um, you know, are only temporary. These are things that have lost lasting conflicts or lasting consequences upon all of Judaism. This is literally the hanging of the balance of Jerusalem itself. And the conflict that we see within Jeremiah's own heart of, will this happen within two years? He's going to go back home and he's going to seek the Lord. Is this really your truth or is what I've been told the 70 years true? Yeah, have you ever had a, a doubt? Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've been taught one, you know, whether it's a denomination or or a certain set of theology, and, and then someone else comes along and and they preach something else. This happens all the time, by the way. Just turn on any religious station. Or, you know, even in Bakersfield, I mean, thank God for the good churches we have. Thank God for the Bible-believing churches that preach the Word of God. But is it easy to find a church that doesn't teach the truth? Oh, yeah. Or, or stretches certain truths too far. You see, Jeremiah is having to go back to God. And in verse 10, it says, or excuse me, in verse 12, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Where do you go when you have doubts? Just like Jeremiah. And by the way, he writes a huge book. He's, he's the only prophet in the, you know, the prophet section of uh, the Bible, you know, from Isaiah all the way to Malachi. The only one of the prophets that writes two books, Jeremiah and Lamentations. He, he's, you know, known as this man who exudes confidence in the prophecies of God and he himself is having to go back home and ask God again is what you're telling me truth is what I'm prophesying what you want me to say and I'm sure all of us have doubts I'm sure all of us you know hear things and sometimes we have to go back to the Bible the word of God and this is what Jeremiah is doing. You're in good company, by the way, as long as you check it out according to the word of God. In verse 13, this is what God tells him. And God has told him this at the beginning of the chapter, but now he's saying it again in such a way that emphasizes the point that this is going to be something that is long term. This is something that's going to be several generations long. Not, not just a quick there, come back. 
It's going to be a long uh, time. Verse 13, go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. I don't know, and remember from last week, we saw those yokes on the oxen and then the, the yoke on Jeremiah himself. And now not to have something that is wood or something that can be burned or broken, but now something that is more durable, iron itself. But beyond just being durable, it's also <clears throat> heavier as well. That, that iron yoke that is being placed upon uh, the people of uh, Judah... Verse uh, 14, we see it here. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him as I have given him the beasts of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. And you remember the requirements that we've been talking about, not only with Isaiah, but also with Jeremiah himself. The confirmation of a prophet, the standard with which a prophet was always judged, is they had to be 100% true. Every single prophecy had to come true if it was a prophet of God. According to not only uh, the book of Deuteronomy, but also as we see here in the book of Jeremiah as well. And so what's going to happen to Hananiah? Therefore thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die. Because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. What the standard of the prophet is high. And the reason why is because people are listening. This is why there is a stricter judgment upon those that teach the word of God. Those that are pastors or teachers in the church. This is why there is a stricter judgment for those in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament that were prophets. That the word of God always had to be delivered 100% true. And Hananiah, he's playing with the truth, saying that they're going to come back within two years. And within three months, he dies. Within three months, he's dead. This person who is speaking the lie, by the way, what would this do to the people that are listening? <clears throat> Just like in the book of Acts when Ananias and Sapphira fall dead. Trying to imitate Barnabas, giving all their money, saying that they've given it all but only given a portion. You see, the strict judgment of God is severe, verse 17 so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh uh, month. And then we come 
this amazing chapter. And by the way, we've been talking about this, or at least alluding to this many times. The, the chapters from 1 to 28, most people have never even read. You'll never see these as refrigerator verses. But once we get now to chapter 29, this is now the, the foundation, if you will. The, the hope is being presented here. You see, in chapters 1 through 28, it's the buildup. It's all the segue now to what is the heart of God? Why is God allowing this to happen where he's bringing a foreign nation to judge his people? This people that they themselves are wicked, why are they coming to judge the people of God? They should have no right to judge us or to discipline us. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And I'm sure all of you have heard the verses that we read at the beginning, especially Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of us take it out of context. Many of us, you know, um, don't always read the context behind it. But the understanding is every single thing that God is doing here is because of our good so that we can have a hope why does god bring discipline into people's lives it's to show them a hope to give them a future that is good for them chapter 29 uh, verse 1 it says this now these are the words of the letter that jeremiah the prophet sent from jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests the prophets and all the people whom nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from jerusalem to babylon jeremiah is pinning this down he's writing this letter chapter 29 he's writing this letter not to the people that are behind the walls but to the people that are already captive He's writing this letter to the Ezekiels and the Daniels and the Hananias and Azariahs and Misaels, the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Bendigos in Babylon. In fact, this is what he writes. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem. The craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who was the one that did this? Who is claiming that they allowed the people to be taken from Jerusalem to Babylon? It says there in verse 4. Who was the one that planned this? God. Who was the one that even brought it about? It's God. And why did he do it? Just as the people that are living at this time, they ask the same exact question. Why is God doing this to us? Maybe you have asked the same question of God. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Guess what? We're going to find out the answer tonight. 
But just to give you a little bit of a context here, Daniel, if you skip ahead a couple of books, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, we find Daniel reading this chapter. He, he's going to read this part of the book of Jeremiah, maybe other parts as well. We don't know exactly how much, but at least this chapter. He, he's going to receive this letter from these messengers. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we read that Daniel gets this letter. Listen to this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuraz, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Wow. Confirmation of this letter. In fact, the exact years are here that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now you have to understand the time period here. Daniel is probably really old by this time. In fact, this is the third king that he served. Remember, he served Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, and now a new empire has come in, taken over the Babylonian Empire, and Darius, the king of the Mede Persian Empire, is now on the throne. And Daniel's reading this, and of course, this is the prophetic section of the book of Daniel. This is no longer the narrative, per se. This is the, the prophetic part. And he's reading this letter, and he's trying to understand why is God allowing us to be kept in captivity for 70 years? How is this going to be? Why is God being so exact? And of course, if you read the book or the rest of this chapter, it goes into the details of the 70 years or the 490 days. And so the book of Jeremiah is key. Chapter 27, chapter 29, chapter 52. They're all key to understanding a lot of the prophecies within the book of Daniel itself. And so this is what Daniel is reading in uh, the, the area where he lives in the upper courts of the Persian Empire itself. He's reading this letter. And guess what? Some 2,500 years ago, you get to read this letter as well. Isn't that amazing? The, the same letter that Jeremiah penned and the same letter that Daniel read and the same letter that many people have gotten hope from for literally thousands and thousands of years we get to read today. But unfortunately, what we do is we only take one verse, put it on our refrigerator, we memorize it, it's great, we love it, but many times we don't understand the context of this verse. Listen to the context, listen to the whole chapter. I love this. For 70 years, what are they going to do? Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. What is God saying to the captives in Babylon? Live there. 
be witnesses, be my testimony. I love the next couple of verses. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminish. God is protecting you in a foreign country. Just like he did, by the way, with the, you know, descendants of Joseph and the, the first 12 sons of, I, or of, of um, uh, excuse me, Isaiah, I mean, Israel, uh, as they're in Egypt, right? You guys remember that? And God allowed them to increase to millions of people protected within the Egyptian uh, empire. But not only that, verse 7, and seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. What are they supposed to do for the Babylonians? What are they supposed to do for the Persians? They're supposed to pray for them. And just like us today, what are we called to do for our, you know, leadership, our president, our senators, our congressmen, our you know, governors and mayors. What are we supposed to do? And just like Daniel, who's there at this time, did he always agree with the king that he loved, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar and later on Dari? Did he always agree with them? No, of course not. He had to stand up for the truth many times. But who is he on his knees praying for three times a day? Not only the, you know, the captives, the future people that were going back to Jerusalem, but he was praying for the leadership in this country or the nation that had taken him captive. He was praying for them. In fact, in verse 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams. Uh, when you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And just like Hananiah, there's going to be some of them that's saying, no. We should not be praying for our captors. We, we should be trying to escape back to uh, Jerusalem. And God is saying within 70 years, you will come back. In fact, if you remember from last week, we saw that because the people had been in the land for about 490 uh, years, the land was supposed to be rested every seventh year. 490 divided by 70, of course, is seven. God is allowing the land itself to rest too. So that when the people come back, they have a land that is now fertile again. And also their own hearts too, as we're going to see in the next section, where the very first thing they want to build is a temple. Where the very first thing they want to do is worship their God. Where the very first thing they want to do is to love the one that brought them back. And of course, you can read that in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah. Verse 10. Now, understand that this is the context, okay? They're supposed to be praying for the people that have captured, captured them, captured them. 
They're, they're supposed to not only build homes, plant gardens, give their way, their, their children away in marriage, continue on the generations. But also in verse 10 here, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And Jeremiah is probably going to be dead by this time. But will God still fulfill his prophecy to the letter? And thank God for that. Thank God that God keeps his promises. Thank God that we have a, a God who uh, not only has, we're going to see, has good thoughts toward us, but every single one of those good thoughts are to give us a hope and a future. And yes, the 70 years are, you know, hard. The times of trials and tribulations are difficult. Uh, but do I know God will be with me every single step of the way as he was with the people of Jerusalem? And then we read verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Give you a future and a hope. Have you ever read that verse and and thought, you know, I'm going through pain right now. I'm going through hard times. I'm going through financial dis difficulties. I'm going through, you know, whether it's a, a, a spouse or a, a child or, or problems at my work. How, how is this going to work out, God, for my good? How is that possible? And again, you have to put yourself in the place of Jeremiah himself, who's being slapped, punched across the face, who later on is going to be put into a pit. How is this for my good God? The problems that we all face, just being human, but then also those extra challenges that we face being Christians or, or followers of God. Those things where we stand up for the truth and we feel like we are all by ourselves. We're that island in the midst of wickedness. That island in the midst of um, uh, troubles and trials and pain. And it feels like everybody else has it good. You know, it's okay for them to disobey God. But when I disobey God, oh man, he brings his hammer down on me. He disciplines me severely. Why is that, God? We see the reason why in the next section here, and I love this. It's the privilege of the whole word of God, not, not just a, a section where many people take it out of context and, and blow it up into some sort of a, a prosperity gospel. What does it say in verse 12? Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Don't you love that? That even in the hardest of times, that God listens to you. God hears you. 
that God is, is there with you. And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. And by the way, these are people in a foreign country without a temple. These are people that have been taken from their homeland in a foreign country without any way to do their sacrifice. There is no more altar. There is no more holy place. There is no more holy of holies where the priests can go in once a year and, and offer a, a prayer for all the sins of Israel itself. There, there is no place for them to go. And yet God is saying, you can talk to me if you seek me with all your heart. And I will listen to you. I will be found by you, as it says in the next verse, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. Thank God. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. I'm going to be the one that not only takes you to Babylon, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to walk with you every single step of the way. And by the way, if you remember from last week, this is going to be an even greater miracle than the return from Egypt itself. Where it will no longer be the God who brought us out of Egypt, it'll be the God who brought us back from an even eviler and more powerful empire, uh, the Babylonians and later on the Persians. And so it'll be this amazing miracle that God causes uh, to happen. This, this word, by the way, thought here that's used more times in the book of Jeremiah than any other book in the Bible. This word thought here is, is this uh, word, and I hope I, I say this uh, correctly, it's this word makshaba or makshava. It, it's this word that is used not only for thought or in the New American Standard or several other translations used of plans, right? The word plans is used or, or intents or purposes of God. You see, not only are these his thoughts, and we think of always thoughts as maybe quick or short term, but in this context, it's actually a long term. It's the plans of God for the people over a long period of time. Time that God is outside of, by the way, that he can see all of it. He sees the whole tapestry, if you will. He, he sees the whole plan. He doesn't just see what we see, a sliver in time. He, he doesn't have the, you know, the mentality that many of us have that it has to happen now, God. And if it doesn't happen now, then I'm leaving. No, it, it's the plans of God. And every single one of them is for our good, our future but it also there's another context to it as well it's meant as discipline too it's meant as the chastening of god you see why are the people 
of Judah in captivity in the first place. Because they've sinned. They've backslidden. Again, another word that's only used or, or more times than any other book in the Bible. The word backslide or, or hard-hearted or stiff-necked, as we read earlier in the book of Jeremiah. Why had they been taken captive in the first place? Because they were sinners. They, they rebelled against God. And so God is disciplining uh, them. And many times we don't think of this in terms of the, the plans of God. But does God discipline us on purpose? Does God chasten us on purpose? And is that for our good also? Oh, yeah, it is. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, and you've probably heard me read this many, many times, but in the book of Hebrews, by the way, written to Hebrews, duh, you know, written, the audience is meant to be Jewish. He says this, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as such as sons? Uh, quoting from the book of Proverbs, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Why is God allowing discipline? Because he loves them. He, he, he knows being, you know, God, what the future holds for them. And if they continue down the path of sin, wickedness, rebellion, he knows where it leads. As the book of Romans says, just like what Pastor Mike has been leading us through uh, on Sundays, it leads to what? Death. Destruction. It leads to our... Um, bad or our own hurt but it continues on in the book of hebrews and uh, the author of the book of hebrews explains it a little bit better than the book of proverbs does it says if you endure chastening god deals with you as with sons for what son is there whom a father does not chasten but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons. What is he saying? If God doesn't discipline you, what are you? You're illegitimate. And by the way, this is the, you know, the G version, the, the illegitimate. You are sons of God if he disciplines you. What does that mean? Thank God that he takes the time to spank me. Thank God that he takes the time to discipline me. <clears throat> because he doesn't do that for those that are not his kids. He doesn't take the time to do that for them. Instead, he reaches out to those that are his sons and his daughters. As it says, and it gives a, an example of a human father in verse 9 furthermore we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not more readily be in subjection to the father of the spirits and live for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them and he for our profit but we may be partakers of his holiness 
just like our parents. They tried their best. They weren't always perfect. In fact, most of the time they're not, right? You know, just like me as a dad, I'm not always perfect. But God is perfect in every single thing that he does. And even though I might maybe be limited in my wisdom or my experiences, I give what I have in the small amount it is. But God, of course, gives us the best for our, as it says, holiness. So that we can look more like him, right? So that we can look like our heavenly father. And of course, the author of the book of Hebrews states the obvious in verse 11 there. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Of course, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What will it be like when you return? You'll hunger for God again. And just like the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem at this time that Jeremiah is writing these words, they're going to hunger for God because they've missed it for 70 years. They've missed the temple itself. We, we continue on here in chapter uh, 29, verse 15. And remember the context of this chapter here. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. We saw this two weeks ago with the figs that were good and the figs that were bad. The same exact fruit, just in different stages. Something that's good for you, uh, that has many, many good nutrients, that's actually sweet and beneficial. And the same exact fruit left over, over several days, what happens to it? It's putrid and it'll make you sick. It stinks. It's a horrible smell. This is the difference that God is showing in these verses, verse 18. And I will pursue them with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence. I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them. Because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Lord, all you of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon, God is with them. And of course, Daniel is reading this letter. Those in captivity are reading uh, this letter. What are they supposed to do for their city? Pray for it. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, uh, who prophesies a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah, who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. 
because they have done this disgraceful thing in Israel, have committed adultery with your neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. These are people that Jeremiah is calling out by name. Now, we don't have any other record of these, you know, uh, people uh, of these specific people in any of the other, you know, uh, parts of the scripture. The only one that we have is Zedekiah. And I remember I, I read about him. He was the, the last king uh, of uh, the city or the uh, southern kingdom of Judah. Remember what happened to him in 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 6 through 7? So they took the king and they brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah. They pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. This same Zedekiah, who is going to be uh, later on burned in the fire. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah and they bound him with bronze fetters and took him to Babylon. What's the last thing he sees? His sons being killed before him. By the way, this is the, you know, the, the relative. The, it would be the, considered the cousin of the good king Josiah. This is not only a descendant of David. This is the last king to sit on the throne in the city of Jerusalem itself. And be made that example before all the captives. This is what's going to happen to you if you disobey us. But not only the political leaders, as we see here in verse 24, and then later on in verse 29, we'll be ending it uh, here. But again, calling these people out by name. You shall also speak to Shimeiah the Nehelamite, saying, thus, uh, or thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Amasai, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in stocks. Oh, what great language to use about your fellow priests, right? You're just a bunch of demented people. But not only that, now therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? By default, what are they saying about Jeremiah? He's just a demented old fool. That no one else agrees with. Why are you putting up with this? For he has sent to us in Babylon saying this captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. This is just like what you would find an argument on some sort of a, you know, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever. This just is taking a longer period of time, of course. Of course, there was arguments on chat rooms even back then, right? It just was put on, you know, some sort of a, a parchment and then carried over a long distance. Nothing's new underneath the sun. They're, they're saying, why haven't you rebuked Jeremiah, who's telling us, who have written this letter, saying that we're going to be here for a very, very long time. Start building houses. Start planting gardens. 
Start giving your sons and daughters away. You're going to be there a long time. Pray for the city. Then in verse 29, Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send to all those in captivity saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehilamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehilamite and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. What happens when you disobey God? In fact, go against the very word of God. This very specific example that is being given here. You see, God not only had his thoughts for the people, for their good, for their future, but his plans and his steps, how he walked with the people through it all. Who was there with Daniel? Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who was there with Ezekiel? Who was there with the captives in Babylon and later on in Persia? Who was there the whole time? God was. And they didn't have a temple, but they had God with them. And they could talk with him at any time. And guess what? We also have that privilege. In fact, on the first Wednesday of the month and the first Sundays of the month, we always have a tradition of celebrating communion. And there's stations around here. You can just get up right now and, and just grab one while I, I read you the following verses here. And this is for those that are Christians. It doesn't. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to have even ever come to this church. You just have to know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. You have to believe in him. But the privilege that we have is to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Because it's Jesus Christ in every single walk of your trials and hardships. Is God with you in those long periods of time? Maybe of discipline, maybe of trials, maybe of um, persecution. Uh, whatever it is that you're going through, this is a reminder that Jesus is there. Now, normally we read uh, the end of Matthew, and normally we read either Luke, we read the Last Supper. But uh, tonight I, I wanted to read a, a different section. I'm, I'm going to be reading from... John chapter 6, verse 35. And, and, and again, this is still about communion, but now we get to see it from the perspective of Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life who comes to me shall never hunger. And who believes in me shall never thirst. Exactly what we're doing now. Remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. The, the wafer represents the, uh, the bread of life, Jesus, whose body is going to be broken for us. And of course, the, the juice, even though it's in a you know, sealed container, to understand that this represents the living water. Jesus Christ himself. 
But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up in the last day. And this is the most amazing part, verse 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And by the way, if you do not know Jesus Christ personally, you can tonight. You, you can. You, you can partake if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you can have communion with him. But if you do not know him personally, this means nothing. This has no value to you. It's only those that believe in Jesus Christ. And so the challenge is, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you can now. And then you can, you know, come up later and I would be glad to lead you through a communion service individually. But, but the privilege is understanding that this is personal. That this is something that I can have fellowship with the one that walks with me. And then it picks up later on in verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Thank God for that. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Those people that wandered out in the wilderness, they had bread come down from heaven every single day. They ate it, and what happened to them? All those that were over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. It didn't save them. God just provided it for them temporarily. But this, the privilege that we have, the living word of God, the bread of life that this represents, the, the eternal water or the living water that Jesus Christ gives to us is everlasting. It's the privilege that we have to know that God will give us everlasting life. And then it ends like this in verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And so tonight we get to partake of this corporately. We get to take of this, partake of this together. And so when we, we take this, this wafer, the privilege of understanding that every time we take of it, it's a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. That, that we have the privilege of knowing that Jesus Christ came to this earth to offer his body uh, for us. So as you take it tonight, remember what he did for you. And the same thing with the cup. It's to know that he is the living water. And when we come to him, he satisfies. He's that living water that gives us, again, eternal life through Jesus Christ so that we can live with him forever and ever. And every time we take this cup, even though we know it's, it's not his, his real blood or even transforms into his real blood, we, we know this is just a representation 
But there's something sacred in doing this. It's what's called a, a sacrament. It's the privilege of knowing that every single time I partake of this, I am remembering what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. So as we take it, remember. And then, of course, just like the 12 disciples and Jesus Christ himself, when they ended their uh, last supper, their, their communion service, they sang a hymn as they went up to the Mount of Olives. And as our tradition is on Wednesday nights, as we also sing a, a hymn. And, and the hymn tonight, I just want to read the chorus for you. Just like we read in Jeremiah 29. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. Another has ever known. Please stand with me as we sing this song. I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear. The Son of God discloses, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there other has ever known i'd stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling but he bids me go through the voice of woe his voice to me is calling and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And so, Father, tonight I thank you for these, my family, my friends, those that are here, those that are watching online, those that will see this in the future. I ask that you bless them. 
Lord, remind us that you um, not only are here with us, but your plans are always good. Your thoughts are always good toward us to give us a hope and a future. And in the times of discipline and chastening, we know that it is for our good because you love us immensely. And we thank you that we are your, your church, your bride. And many times we too go astray, just like the nation of Judah, just like the nation of Israel. Lord, please forgive us when we rebel against you. Instead, help us to be humble in your presence. And to know that you search the whole earth for those people that are humble. You desire to reach out to us with your, your love and your grace. It's us that resist you. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to change our, our hearts of stone, our, our necks that are stiff into pliable clay that can be used by you for your glory. So we, Lord, we thank you for being here tonight for your presence of your Holy Spirit that moves freely among us, Lord. And I ask that you would remind us in the coming week, remind us even an hour or tomorrow of, of what we learned tonight. Help us not to forget, as we so easily do, and help us to be different from the way that we entered into this building tonight. We love you in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you.